This morning we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. I do thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the time we've had in the Sunday school hour. I thank you uh, that we can take this time out of our week to look into your word. I pray that you'd use this time to grow us, to help us. I pray that we would give attention to your word. God, I pray that you'd help us to ask some questions this morning that need to be asked and that uh, you would help us to just come to some understanding of some things maybe this morning that would be a help to us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to begin talking to you about something that is relatively mundane in nature. It's not anything that is too exciting or too thrilling. But I want us to think this morning about the subject of cleaning house. The subject of cleaning house. Here is what you know. A clean house is important. Okay, I'm just going to let everybody get their conversations done so that we can all pay attention, okay? A clean house is important, isn't it? If you don't believe that, go into a dirty house. Go into a nasty house. Go into a disgusting house. You will see just how important a clean house is. Now, there are several things about cleaning a house that are involved. Certainly, this would not be all of them. But in order to have a clean house, probably at some point you're going to need to vacuum. At some point, you're going to need to dust. At some point, you're probably going to need to mop a shower floor or a kitchen floor or a bathroom floor. At some point, you're going to need to put away some laundry off of the couch or out of the hamper into the washing machine and then into the, the dressers or the closets, wherever it belongs. There are several things about cleaning a house that actually make the house clean as a whole. Now, as that is so, here is what most of us know, that we are so used to the idea of cleaning a house that whenever you hear someone say they cleaned, you do not sit there and say, really? Wow. Well, that's not true. Some people you hear say that and you say, really? Wow. Now, in general, though, you don't hear of someone cleaning a house and you, ask, you find yourself asking them, how did you do that? That is amazing. That's incredible. That, that's, that, that's unheard of. That's not the response we generally have because it is relatively commonplace for us to hear people say that they have cleaned. Now, as that is so, I want us to think about this for just a moment. Suppose in my house, Susie and I are about to leave and we're about to go somewhere. And I say to the kids, okay, kids, we're going to be gone for several hours. And while we're gone, Hannah, I want you to take care of this. Leah, I want you to take care of this. And Nathan, I'd like for you to take care of this. And as we give them their list of chores or we give them their list of responsibilities, it includes things like dusting and mopping and, and vacuuming and putting away clothes, the things that I just mentioned. Again, it's really not that big of a deal 
But I want us to think about this question. I want us to think about this thought. Because we have now told the kids what we expect them to do, though relatively mundane, and again, not anything too impressive in the eyes or in the opinions of most people, how important have those jobs now become? They've become highly important, haven't they? Not because the task in and of itself has changed, but because now that task is an act of obedience or an act of disobedience. If they do what we've told them to do, then obviously that is being obedient. If they choose to not do what we've told them to do, that would be an act of disobedience. And so now, again, the act in and of itself, the, the chore has not changed, but because it is now going to be either an act of obedience or disobedience, it is much more important than it was at some other time. And now it's important regardless of what anyone else thinks about it. It's no big deal whether or not you dust. Well, it is a big deal now because dad and mom said I have to dust. Somebody could stop by and say, hey, you want to go get a Coke? And them say, no, I need to vacuum the house real quick. Oh, you don't need to vacuum the house. The floor looks fine. No, you don't understand. It's a big deal now because dad and mom told me to vacuum. Somebody may say to them, all you did was clean the bathroom. That may not seem important to you, but because dad and mom told me to do it, it is now highly important. You understand this principle, don't you? You understand this thought. Again, in and of itself, it's not that big a deal. We're not too wowed by it. We're not too impressed by it. We're not overwhelmed that somebody would do those things. But whenever it becomes an act of obedience, whenever it becomes a, a, an order that's been given and you have to choose to obey or disobey, that is when it takes on a significance that it did not otherwise have in that person's life. Now, this morning, I want us to think about that principle as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, okay? Nehemiah chapter 6, I know that in years past, we've gone through a study of Nehemiah, so some of this may sound familiar. You may already know this just from your own personal Bible reading and study time. But in the book of Nehemiah, here is what we understand by way of context and by way of history, that at a time in Israel's past, at a time in Israel's life as a nation, God allowed Israel to become the servants or to become uh, under the dominion or under the authority of the Babylonian Empire, all right? And, and so that was a position that the Israelites were in for quite some time. And as the Babylonians conquered the Israelites, the Babylonians destroyed certain things. They, they tore down certain things that would have been important to the people of Israel, to a Jew, things of that nature. But we find in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah is in the palace of the king of Babylon. As this is happening, as this is taking place, Nehemiah is just going about his daily routine. He is going about his daily life, not anything really exciting or too thrilling taking place that we know of anyways. And yet, on this particular day in chapter 1, here's what we discover, is that a fellow Jew, a fellow Israelite by the name of Hanani, came to the palace of Babylon and began to have conversation with Nehemiah. And in this conversation, Nehemiah inquired of the state or the condition of Jerusalem. 
Well, as Hanani and uh, Nehemiah visited and had this conversation, here's what Hanani and others relayed to Nehemiah, that Israel was not in a good condition right now, that Israel was not in a good position at all. They talked about how the walls had been torn down, how the gates had been burned, how the temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem and Israel, everything that would have mattered to the Jews at that time, it had been decimated, it had been destroyed, it had been taken, uh, it had been dismantled, so to speak. Israel was not in a good shape at all. So as Nehemiah hears this, you find in chapter 1 that he was grieved by what he heard. Nehemiah did not hear the news and just say, oh, well, that stinks, man, I hate that. I'm so thankful I'm living in the palace now. No, that's not at all the response that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah began to be grieved and he began to to anguish over what he had heard. And he began to cry out to God. He began to pray into the Lord. And here's what you discover as you read through the book. You read that God is going to raise up Nehemiah to be used to lead in the rebuilding efforts of the wall that would surround the city of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is going to be used by God to lead in the efforts of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Did I say that clearly? Okay, I just want to make sure that I'm communicating this properly. All right. Now, as you think about that, I want us to consider this truth. That in the days of Nehemiah, in the days in which this story took place, walls around cities were not uncommon. It's not as though it was this rare thing, because walls were used as a source of protection from outsiders who may want to invade a particular city. Okay, so if you think about it, from their perspective... Building a wall really wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't something that was so unheard of. It, was, it wasn't something that was so amazing. For them in their day to hear of someone maybe being on a building crew, building a wall, that would be about as amazing as hearing someone in our day saying, I cleaned the house yesterday. For them, it was a job. For them, it was an occupation. For them, it was maybe a source of income that they could provide for their family. I don't know who would have done what in the different areas of building walls. But again, keep this thought in mind. Building a wall in and of itself was not that impressive. Many people had been engaged in wall building in times past. So here is Nehemiah. God is going to use him to lead in the efforts to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem for the people of Israel. And no one is going to be impressed and no one is going to be amazed. So as you read through the book, here's what you discover. You discover that God blessed the efforts of Nehemiah. God allowed the wall to be built relatively quickly. Things were going well. And so in chapter 6, here's what we find is that not everyone rejoiced in the progress being made by Nehemiah and his men. So notice in chapter 6, verse number 1. 
It says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. So here's what we understand in chapter 6, that there were enemies to the people of Israel. There were people who were not thrilled about this rebuilding effort that was taking place, the temple being rebuilt and the wall being rebuilt and Israel kind of reestablishing themselves. And so we understand who some of the leaders in the opposition were, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. So it said in verse number 2 that Sanballat and Geshem sent by way of a messenger unto Nehemiah, and here is what they said, Let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. So Nehemiah would have known where the men were talking about. They would have understood what the location was. And so they want to have this conversation, this dialogue. But notice what it says in the last part of verse number 2. Nehemiah declares, but they thought to do me mischief. Nehemiah was no fool. Nehemiah understood that these men did not have his best interest in mind. He knew that these men did not have the best interest of Israel in mind. And so as a result of them calling for this meeting and his awareness of what was taking place, if you look in the middle of verse number 3, he says this, I cannot come down... Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Here is what Nehemiah said by way of messengers back to Sanballat and Geshem. He said, I cannot come down. He said, if I come down, here's what will happen. The work will cease and things are going to stop by way of momentum. You understand what that means, right? If I were to break away from this, then I'm not going to be able to continue leading in the process. So the momentum will stop, the men will stop working, maybe as diligently as they have been. And and so Nehemiah says, I can't do this. So verse number 4, it says, Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort or after this manner, and I answered them after the same manner. So on four occasions, Sanballat and Geshem call for this meeting there in the plain of Ono, And on every occasion, Nehemiah responded with the same answer, I cannot do that. Because if I come down, the work will cease and the wall will not be built. Now, we understand the conversation that's taken place between Nehemiah and the others. We understand how the messengers took the messages back and forth to one another. But I want us to think about this. In verse number 3, Nehemiah did not just say, I cannot come down. But he said prior to that, he said, I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work. What does it mean whenever he says, I am doing a great work? Well, it means this, for something to be large or for something to be intense. And I would imagine building a wall around a city would be a fairly large undertaking. I don't know that to be sure. I'm not exactly a fence builder by 
by profession, but it seems to me if somebody came to me and said, let's listen, I am commissioning you to build a wall around the city. If someone said that to me, I would say that's a big task. I would say that that is a large task. I would say that that would be intense at times. It also means this, for something to be important. This is important. Now, I want us to think about this from a a very unspiritual, ungodly context, okay? Just think about this from a common sense standpoint. The wall around the city was important, period. Again, many cities in their day had walls built around them for the, for the source of protection. It was important. Kind of like a clean house is important. If you don't believe the wall was not important, then just take the wall down and find out what kind of protection you have from the enemy. It was a large job, no matter what. It would have been an intense job, no matter what. And it was an important job, no matter what. But I want us to think about this, and I want us to see this. Nehemiah looked at his job. He looked at what God was calling him to do. He looked at how God had led him in this effort to rebuild the wall around the city. And he said, I cannot stop what I am doing and come down and have this meeting because I am involved in a great work. And I want us to think about this truth. I want us to think about this thought. What made the work so great to Nehemiah? was not because he was the first one to ever build a wall around a city. But what made his work so great was that it was now an act of obedience to God's will for his life. You understand this? Prior to the wall being rebuilt, Nehemiah is in the palace of the king there in Babylon. And and sure, at some point he could have said, you know, king, I think something needs to happen. I think something needs to take place. And and I think I need to go back to Jerusalem, my hometown, and and the town of my fathers and my grandfathers and, and things of that nature. And I need to go back and I need to rebuild a wall. That would have been good. That would have been appropriate. That would have been fine. It would have served a purpose, etc. But here is Nehemiah, and he says, I cannot do what you have asked me to do because I am involved in a great work. Listen, and the work is great because God is the one who commissioned me to do this. It takes on greater significance now because the authority in my life is the one who has told me to do this. In and of itself, it's good, it's noble, it's profitable, it serves a purpose. But now that God has told me to do it, it takes every bit of that and it increases the importance and the significance of what I'm doing so much so that I cannot stop to entertain some conversation with you. See, if you think about this from a human perspective, if this had simply been the ambition and the dream and the desire of Nehemiah, he could have left at any time and told his workers to continue working and things would have continued and been fine and no big deal. But here's Nehemiah. 
and he understands. God is the one who has led me to do this. And so Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, whomever the other enemies would be, whatever you might say, whatever you might declare, however you might belittle, whatever you may do to discourage me, regardless of what you say and do, I cannot stop what God has told me to do. Nehemiah knew. This was not his desire. This was not his ambition. This was not his dream. This was the result of God leading him to build the wall. And he would either be obedient or disobedient to what he had been commissioned to do. Now this morning I want to talk to us for just a couple of moments, okay? And and I know that in doing so, I don't know what your response will be to this. I have no idea what your response will be to this. I'm just going to talk to you for a few minutes. This morning, you know that by profession, I'm not a wall builder. You know that, right? I shared that a minute ago, and some of you, I think, are like, really? No, I'm not. I'm not a wall builder. I have no desire to be a wall builder. By way of profession, by way of occupation, by way of a livelihood, and by way of income, I am a pastor. I think that you probably understand what I'm about to say, that in our area, in our part of the country, there are enough pastors present that whenever you tell someone that you're a pastor... Most people are not too impressed. Kind of like saying, I cleaned house yesterday. So what I mean by that is this. If you were to have a conversation with someone this week, and you said, I cleaned house this week, they would go, oh. If I said to someone this week, yeah, I pastor, you know what they would say? Oh. How do I know? I know it for this reason. Yesterday I had a conversation with someone. He said, so what do you do here in town? I said, I pastor a church. He said, oh. He wasn't impressed. And you know what? Whenever he asked what I did for a living, I did not say to myself, oh good, finally another chance to tell someone that I'm a pastor. I didn't jump up and go, I'm a pastor. I didn't do that. You know why? Because I'm over myself. 17 years ago, whenever I graduated Bible college, I wanted to tell everybody that I was in the ministry. I wanted to tell everybody I was going to be a pastor. I wanted to tell everybody that one day I'd soon be pastoring a church. I was excited. I was thrilled. I I thought there would be, you know, something that went with the job, so to speak, by way of perks or whatever. I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I was thrilled. Well, guess what? I'm over it now. So what do you do? I pastor a church. Oh, really? Which one? Oh, Grace Baptist Church. Where's that at? You tell them? Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Is it good to be a pastor? 
I guess. I'd like to think that it is. Kind of like it's good to clean house. It's good to build walls. But I know this. There are many people in the ministry whom God did not call into the ministry. Oh, well, you can't say that, Brother Kyle. Yes, I can. Because there are enough false doctrines and false teachings out there, and, and they have pastors, they have preachers, but they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, so God would not have called them into a church to preach a message that was not His gospel. Now, do the people mean well? I'm sure they mean well. Do they have a heart for the people they're trying to minister to? Oh, I'll give them that much credit. I mean, you know, from a secular standpoint or from a secular mindset, I would say something like this. Well, it's good that you care. But see, in the eyes of the world, I'm no different than them. And, and I've understood that now for several years, that, that in the eyes of the world, I'm just the same as this guy who preaches at the Mormon church or the guy who preaches at the JW church or the guy that preaches at, at whatever other church it may be. I'm just one of them. There's nothing really special about it. Until you remember this. This is an act of obedience. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not right now, but here's what I wrestle with. There are times that I wrestle with my own thoughts and my own emotions and my own feelings on the matter. What good is this doing? What profit does this have to it? You teach and you preach and you try to help and you don't know if there's anything happening. You find yourself sometimes saying things like this, kind of like Peter. I'd be just as well off going back to some kind of a secular profession because I'm not having much luck or success in what I'm doing right now. Sometimes as a, as a preacher or as a pastor, you look at what you're doing and you think things like this. It's not so great. It's not so big. It's really not even important what I'm doing. But you know what I have to remind myself Sometimes over and over and over again. It is great not because the eyes of the world look at this and say, now that is great. It is only great because for me it is now whether or not I will be obedient or disobedient to the authority of God in my life. I know the world does not look at me and say, wow, Kyle, you are involved in something great. But you know what I have to tell myself? I am involved in something great because it is the Lord who commissioned me to do this. 
So there may be people on the outside who say, oh, that little church, or oh, that church located there, or, or you've been there how long, how many are you running, and, and, and all the questions that I have to answer from time to time, and the number of times that I have squirmed and felt uncomfortable about the answers I've had to give, I have to remind myself, don't worry about what anyone else thinks, you just have to be obedient, Kyle, to what God has called you to do. It is great because He is the one who told you to do so. Now, this morning, I, I want us to understand something. This sermon is not about me and Nehemiah. This sermon is about every one of us who ever thinks about our lives and sometimes contemplates, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, I, again, I, I don't know if I said it a moment ago or if I was just thinking it and I meant to say it. I know that you may not think the way I think. Sometimes that's good and sometimes you ought to think the way I think. Sometimes I, I don't want you to think the way I think because that wouldn't be helpful. But sometimes you may find yourself thinking like I think sometimes. And you may say to yourself sometimes, what exactly is it that I am accomplishing in this life? You ever been there? I mean, again, I don't know if you've ever had thoughts like this, but, but maybe something crosses through your mind like, all I do every day is this. <laughs> I get up, I make breakfast for the kids, I get the kids to school, I try to straighten up the house some before my husband gets back. I fix them supper, I do some laundry, I go to bed and I do that all day, every day. Wow, I'm really killing it, aren't I? Well, here's what we know. The world's not impressed with that. They're not. You may say something like this. All I do is get up every day and go to work and do the exact same thing every day at work. There's nothing too exciting. I could tell people all day long, this is what I do, and all day long I'd get this response. Huh. Wow. And it doesn't always make us feel too important. Sometimes we, we feel, I shouldn't say we, sometimes some people feel rather insignificant in this life. And this morning, I hope you understand that what I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to remind us of this. Is that you and I may be involved in something that isn't spectacular. It's not too amazing. It's not anything the world looks at with great awe and great reverence and great respect for. They may not be too impressed with what we're doing. But if we are doing what God has commissioned us to do, then what we are doing is something that is great. Do you understand that? If God's will is for you to do nothing but to get up in the mornings and to make breakfast for your kids, get them off to school, make sure they've got supper when they come home, make sure they've got clean laundry, make sure that they've got a clean bed to sleep in. If that is what God has commissioned you to do, then you are involved in a great work and your life is not wasted and your efforts are not wasted. 
If all you feel like you're doing is waking up every morning and I'm going to work and all I'm doing is this and I do this every day over and over and over and over again and a monkey could do my job and and I could walk away and nobody would even notice I was gone. That may be. But if that is what God has commissioned you to do, then you are involved in a great work. See, I think sometimes what we do is this. We look at what we're doing and we lose sight of the fact that if God has called us to do this, then we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do. And when we lose sight of that, we, re- we fail to realize that, that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if that came out clear. I don't know if that came out right, but... But, but we began to feel insignificant. We began to feel like our life is a waste. And, and, and it's not if we're doing what God has called us to do. So I want us to understand this as well this morning, okay? And, and, and I, I trust that some of you do, but maybe not all of us. But there are people who are in big-time positions. And whether they would ever admit this or not, their lives are far more wasted than the one who may be doing something that has no respect in the eyes of the world. See, it was their dream and their aspirations. It was their ambition. It was their life goal. I'm going to reach this position, and I'm going to reach this position, and I'm going to do this, and we'll move here, and we'll relocate here, and I don't care about this. I'm going to do this. And they have reached the, the, the pinnacle of success for whatever it is that matters to them, and they think that they have arrived. But they're not where God wants them. That life is far more wasted than the one who is in God's will fixing breakfast and packing lunches and doing laundry throughout the day. See, we've got to remember where the greatness of our task comes from. The greatness of our task does not come from the world's opinion of our task. The greatness of our task comes from who gave me this task. And if God gave me the task, then whatever it is I am doing, this is a great work. When was the last time you looked at your life and you said something like this? I cannot afford to be distracted. I cannot afford to be taken away. I cannot afford to listen to the naysayers and the critics and the opposers and and the enemies who would stand against me. I cannot do that because I am involved in a great work. You know where I think many people live so many times, those who are trying to live in, in the Lord's will? I think so many people live with this mindset, I'm really not doing anything great. I'm not accomplishing much. You may not be in the eyes of the world. But if all you are doing is what God has told you to do, then what you are doing is great. There's only one real catch to all of this. It's a fairly simple catch, but it's a fairly important catch, and that would be this. 
we have to be able to answer this question. I know that I'm doing exactly what God would have me to do. I know that I am doing exactly what God would have me to do. How many of us have ever seen a leaf on the top of the water in a stream? We've seen that, haven't we, most of us? Where does that leaf go? It goes wherever the current takes it. That leaf doesn't know how it got there. It doesn't know why it got there. It doesn't know how long it'll be there. The leaf is just ignorant and clueless. Did you know that there are so many people, even in church, who live their lives like a leaf on top of the water in a stream? They don't know how they got here. So listen, they don't know how they got here. They don't know how they got here. They don't know how much longer they'll be here. They don't know why they're doing this. They don't know why they're doing that. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And they don't, they don't even know why they are where they are. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Just kind of wherever life drifts them to, that's where they go. And then they may be over here. Understand, please, if we do not know that we are where we're supposed to be by the direction of God, then what we are involved in is not great. Do we know? that what we are engaged in, whatever the work may be, do we know this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? There are people who know this is God's will for my life. And there are others who say things like this. Never really thought about it. It's not a good position to be in. A work becomes great no matter what the work is when it's an act of obedience to the authority of God in your life. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of it. If you know you're being obedient, then it is great. If there is an ounce of disobedience at all, to what you are doing and what God has called you to do, if there is even an ounce of disobedience in that whole scheme of things, then guess what? What you're now engaged in is not great. It may be good and it may be important, but in the eyes of God, it's not great because it's only great when we're doing what He tells us to do. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you'd help every one of us to maybe just take a moment and consider the question whether or not we are where we're supposed to be if we are where you would have us to be. 
And God, for the person who cannot answer that question with certainty, maybe they'd have to say they've been pursuing their own dreams, their own ambitions, their own plans. God, I pray that you'd help us today to realize that that is a waste. That in the end, there is no real fulfillment in that. There is no real satisfaction in that. But God, for those who this morning who would be able to say that they know that they are exactly where you would have them to be, God, I pray that you'd remind every one of us today that that now makes that position great. It makes that work great, and they cannot afford to step aside from that for anything because that's what you've commissioned them to do. So, Lord, if there's anyone this morning who would struggle, if they would have insecurities or doubts, I pray that you'd just encourage them today to know that what they are doing is good and right and it is important in your sight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays.